Welcome to the All In Diamond Entrepreneurs in the Rough Show, where the average person becomes extraordinary and those from humble beginnings create a lasting legacy. This is your host, Ernest Peralta. All right, well, welcome back to Diamond Entrepreneurs in the Rough, everybody. I'm Ernest Peralta, and today's show is going to be very inspirational. I have someone here who epitomizes the true entrepreneurial spirit and is someone who needs no real introduction, to say the least. He's a, he's a serial entrepreneur, CEO of multiple successful companies in the business and technology arena. His companies range anywhere from a company called SM Diversity, Positive Media, and House Clean Wow. He's a TEDx speaker. He's been featured on various magazines and publications. And he's a thought leader within the diversity and inclusion space. So here with me is Stephen Matley. So welcome, my friend. Thank you, Ernest, uh, for having us and having me. Uh, it's, a, it's an honor. Um, thank you for this opportunity to kind of just uh, have some co-learning, co-sharing, and uh, I call it the mental gym, right? And uh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And again, you know, I, I know out of your busy schedule to make time to be here on this show, you know, again, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you. So I'm very excited because, um, you know, when we first met, I learned a little bit about you, but as I gotten to know you a little bit more about your background, kind of your thought process, and, you know, the, the things that you've embodied, you know, as a person, and I think that really encapsulates into the Diamond Entrepreneur in the Rough Show, which is why I have you here. And I wanted to learn more about you know, kind of you as a whole, as well as our audience members, I know they're going to be very interested to hear, you know, more about you as well. And so, you know, your, your experiences are, are, are a lot for me to, to say right here at the moment, but we'll definitely get into it here in a little bit. But I want to know more about your life resume. You know, one thing that I want to mention yeah. and really highlight is that I've heard that you're one of the most giving people within our community here in the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, you wow. have, I've heard that, you know, I've heard that you're just a very generous person, just in terms of what you give, your knowledge, you know, just kind of your, your time, if you will. And, you know, yeah. you have so much energy and exuberance about you that I, I really can't wait to tap into some of that here. So, so first off, let's take it back to the beginning. I, wanna, I want yeah. people to know a little bit about you and your background, because I think you have, you know, this thing that fascinates me about you, your tenacity to break out of like the ordinary, you're an entrepreneur, you think outside of the box, you know, I, I want to hear this inspiration about you. So who is Stephen Matley and where did you come from? Where did you grow up? Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Um, so Stephen Matley, uh, born Muhammad Matley. Uh, if anyone gets a chance to watch the TEDx, uh, I speak about how I, that was the first time I revealed my legal name to a, a public audience. And there was a story behind it, but uh, the story kind of lends itself into my life, right, about, wait, you're not Stephen Malley or are you Muhammad Malley? Well, what, what's the difference? Well, you have an identity crisis. And it, it, but then it, what, it do, what it does is that question and mystery gives a lot of disruption in people's brains. Like, boom, it, 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 throws, it throws them off the pattern. Like, whoa, what we thought in a box or what we're conditioned to believe is all of a sudden thrown off by a name. But that's all it takes is a name. And I grew up with knowing this. And, and, and my name, Muhammad, basically lends itself into the fact that, wow, does this person have, uh, uh, you know, 
uh, traits to uh, the Muslim religion. Well, uh, my father was half, he's a mixed breed, basically, uh, at the time where ethnicities only wanted to stay within the same ethnicity. Even, even countrymen uh, in the same, and women in the same um, uh, uh, country would only want us to stay in certain northern or southern, and whether you're Hmong or Mian or Laos, it's, believe it or not, these are things that are being taught inside households, right? And mm -hmm. so I grew up in a household where my father was Muslim, um, and he was only part of my life for a little bit, uh, but uh, Muslim, and, and his father was Muslim, and they were Indonesian um, uh, 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 Muslim. And his mother was part Thai and Laos, um, hmm. Laotian. And, and my mom was uh, full Laotian and the daughter of a five-star general in the, uh, in the, in the police army. Uh, and and her, her mother as well. And they, they, I think they were selling gold, so we were all hustlers. Uh, she was uh, the second oldest child, had to drop out of school at fourth grade. My mom has always been a hustler since I've known her. She came to the United States in 81. My sister was a child that was born in the Thai refugee camp. Um, and then they had me. I was supposed to be aborted. So, you know, yeah, I mean, think about it. My, my mom comes here with her husband, and they land right into the, into the project, housing project. And okay. no, no look at English, no nothing. And, you know, just, if you just think about that start, I wasn't supposed to be born. I was an accidental child, meaning... My mom even told me, like, you know, your grandma, on your, <laughs> your dad's mom, <laughs> it wanted you aborted. But, you know, and rest in peace to her. But uh, she, she really showed me a lot of love growing up, too, as a young child. But um, apparently I was supposed to be aborted because of economical reasons, right? I mean, they're poor. They're mm -hmm. new to this country. They just had a daughter at a refugee camp. So that's just wild. And then they get divorced before I'm even two years old. And now you have a single mother that doesn't really speak English on food, food stamps, food bank, housing projects. She had to go and call her sister, who not all the siblings were even migrant. They're all refugees, so not all the refugees came at the same time. So mm -hmm. if you think about before the story was ever written on Muhammad Stephen Matley, it was already written out of trauma, chaos, war, torn, abuse, like, Lack of everything, the, even at the root level, the foundation that I, was, I, I had to swim out of, Ernest uh, and Sayla, is that it was that deep. And, and, and that's who Stephen Matley is. It, it, it went that deep. And, and, and I had to understand that to really respect and really be motivated to look around me and go, oh, I'm about to get the f out of this prison. You know what I mean? Like this prison ain't going to get me one way or another. I'm going to get out of this prison. So whether it was breakdancing and hip-hop that saved my life in middle school to, you know, uh, avoiding gang members because I thought, like, damn, I, I, I don't want to get beat up like that. And I don't, what was the point of that? Like, you know, to not having a male figure ever in my life, even though I had a stepdad uh, at parts of my life, but you never, I never felt the love of a real dad ever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and the glimpse that I had a in, in a small glimpse, the time that I did leave my, live with my father, get to know my father, it was less than six months. And it was uh, during the transition between middle school, high school. And how, even at that age, Ernest, I was already a runaway kid. I remember in eighth grade, even before high school, catching the bus 
with three black garbage bags telling my mom, I'm out of here. I ain't never living in the hood. My, my, daddy got, my daddy's about to go get himself an apartment. It was that bad. I mean, who was Stephen Malley? Stephen Malley was so shamed of living in the projects. Mm-hmm. Sayla lived in the same uh, projects that I did. I was so shamed, and kids made fun of you. And I lived in the projects twice, the mm-hmm. actual housing projects. And, you know, I looked at kids with apartments like they were rich. Like, that's fact. I was so shamed of living in the projects that I would get dropped off down by, um, so instead of getting dropped off by the Union Gospel Mission Safeway right there, I just wait. I just wait to get all the way down by Genesee or uh, the park down by Rainier. Half them okay, so people didn't, so people thought I lived in the house because because back then, nah, y'all ain't gonna use that against me. Y'all are gonna tell me I'm poor, not in high school, not in middle school. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was my safety, that was my armor. So that's mm-hmm. how I always grew up, and that's how I lived. The world doesn't know that, Ernest. You just got the first, like I mean, I talk about it, and, and, yeah. and you know, informally on Facebook and whatever. But I think that. There's something to be said about that entrepreneur, you know, the diamond in the rough, the, the rose that grew that from the concrete that Tupac talked about. Like, what can happen when you actually do that for a child? I mean, I want people to look back at all the, uh, the people that had adoption. Like, think about that for a second. People that, you know what, it's a start. Maybe some unfortunate situation happened where their parents couldn't, couldn't take care of them anymore. But because of the kindness of somebody else, Maybe an adopted, you know, adopting them. And I grew up with a person that was adopted, and he didn't find out he was adopted until later. So for a lot of my life, I knew somebody that I considered a brother, and he didn't even realize that he was not really my brother until later. Wow. Like, think about that. Like, like I, you know, adoption. Like, and, and so when you take a situation where this is a kid that could have been adopted or did, maybe not adopted, and then taking it into a beautiful situation and say, look at what happened to their lives. See what happens when people care, when people, you know, take time. You know, there, I saw something recently. He goes, um, I respect you if you, can lo- if you can heal a heart that you didn't break and, or raise a child that you didn't make. And you know what? In today's age with modern families and the way it is, adoptions, step-parents, step-dads, stuff that I grew up with, that's powerful to me. Yeah. I don't know who said it. But I was like, damn, because I respect all the men, even though my mom went through three or four divorces, and she has a great husband now. His name is Mike. Uh, they, got, they met when I was in high school. But, you know, even all her previous marriages, it's like, man, shout out to everyone that was trying to heal her heart. Shout out yeah. to everyone that was, that was trying to raise a baby that I'm, I'm a stepkid. I come with the package, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to be right here with my mama. You know what I mean? You gotta, I, we got to do a checkup. Like, you know what I mean? Like, one of those. And still, you know, um, that's why I appreciate my stepdad, Mike, who is like a father figure, and then my, my in-law's uh, uh, father, who, that, that, you know what, y'all, like, just, again, and I, I'm sorry I went all the way deep into this part, but it tells people who I am, like, and why I'm so giving is because I learned to give from birth. I learned that if my mother didn't make a decision to give me life, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be talking about no giving. So who the hell am I to talk about getting and taking and keeping? Shoot, if that was the case, I wouldn't be born. Right. So that's my purpose, man. Yeah. So, no, thank you, by the way. I mean, that's, 
that's a lot of a lot of deep information and I told you I was gonna give you the interview artist. <laughs> you know, I appreciate that. And that's that's what I you know, what I really intend to do is really kinda of get into the mind of these you know, the entrepreneurs such as yourself and yeah, you know, yeah. from where you came from apparently, you know, you came from from my understanding now is that you came from a very rough, you know, childhood. You you came from a single parent, you had immigrant parents that migrated here you basically said it was, um, you know, you were born, but really meant to be born into this world the way that it should be. But yet, you know, you came out of it and you made the best of what you had. So growing up, it seems like you, you kind of made it your own, figured yep. out what you needed to do. So who were your mentors growing up? And, you know, who are some big people that you can name or at least some folks that you could say, you know, that person really shaped who I am today. Or you could say that because of that influence, is, is some of the things that rubbed off that person is why I am who I am today. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, I had different influences and different glimpses of my life, but mm-hmm. if I could say like a, like a well-known person, obviously Tupac. When okay. I heard his music, I was at a suicidal moment in my life. I remember bumping his music, um, and I just remember, you know, uh, so, you know, I just remember listening to his music and just feeling inspired, like, wow, you know, like, this, this, this gentleman is, like, talking my language. I can feel the pain. Um, you know, like, wow, this is great. Like, you know, so, like, I just remember that. I remember hip-hop, breakdancing taught me, like, oh, like, I can actually hang and, 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 and dance and, and, and learn from somebody. It was like I was too poor to take Taekwondo classes, you know what I mean? Like, and so what was I supposed to do in middle school? Um, and so – you know, those were my heroes, like Tim Scott, who opened up the new gospel mission in Holly Park to let me breakdance and create my breakdancing group. He's an amazing gentleman. Scott Kirkeberg, who gave me an opportunity uh, in the mortgage business, who that's what gave me my start. And he, rest in peace to him, he passed away, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, four years ago. And, you know, he spent his, he showed me a lot in life, like the trials and tribulation of, he taught me everything. He, he was like, I, I went to the School of Hard Knocks, and Scott Kirkeberg was my professor. Rest in peace, he passed away four years ago after serving some time. And, I, again, it, it's a, it was a fallen hero that had he, you know, had the right path, he, he would, the greatness that he would have became and what he's shown me. But I still, and me and a, a bunch of people that I still know today credit him for his teaching that sparked our minds. So, that, you know, the, the Tupac sparked my mind, and that's what he even said, you know, is that he would, you know, he's going to, he might not change the world, but I guarantee I will spark the mind that does. And I feel like whatever I'm doing is based on the sparking that he's done for me. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, uh, Tim Scott being such a giving person, you know, picking us up in this Union Gospel Mission van. Uh, you know, you had kids from, uh, from Crip neighborhoods, Blood neighborhoods uh, coming together, but breakdancing. And yeah. listening to hip hop and, and, and being cool about it, like what? Like and so Scott did that. So Scott Kirkerberg, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Tim Tim Scott and uh, and and Tupac and Bruce Lee, obviously, um, you know, mm-hmm. tons of great people. So yeah, that's my inspiration. <laughs> nice, very good. So one thing I wanted to ask you was uh, when you were in school. I mean, did you consider yourself to be? You know, a, a typical student. You know, growing up, did did you find yourself? You know, trying to trying to get good grades, or were you an average student? What kind of student were you? Kind of yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking this question. I was a <laughs> horrible student. I hated school. Well, like, 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 it was deep, though, for me. It wasn't that I hated school. Mm-hmm. I, you know what, Ernest? I was so poor 
I hated going to school because school felt like a fashion show. And if you didn't come with the fashion, you was made fun of. I remember back in elementary, I wore some doctors to school and I got made fun of. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I remember back in middle school when I only had three pairs of pants, and the reason why the gangbangers in my neighborhood was cool with me uh, is, but one, my mom was a, a hustler. She sold food out the trunk. So my mom would make authentic Southeast Asian, uh, uh, you know, uh, Laotian food and, and sell it to the neighborhoods, the different, like, neighborhoods. And so that's why people were like, oh, man, your mom's a hustler. Like, she's cool. And so they were cool with me. And this guy um, in middle school, we would change clothes. Like, not change clothes. Like, I, he would let me rock two, two of his shirts. I rock two of my shirts. And that was what school was like for me, where it was like, one, don't get beat up. Don't get into no fights. It was a danger zone. It was like, man, it's so weird when I think about school. Like, I, I, I should have went to school and got a proper education, but I still remember everyone in high school, we would hang out and just smoke cigarettes or leave the campus all throughout high school. Ain't nobody ha- It was like, man, I don't even know how to explain it. I have a love and hate for school, meaning where was the people that, that, that should have been like, yo, Steve, man, like, come on, man, let's get into this computer class. I only had Oregon Trail or – you know, you know, like, like, like. I, I wish I didn't have to focus on fashion and fitting in and, I, and clicks and gangs and all that stuff. And and I went to school in Queen Anne, McClure. But what they were doing was shipping kids from the South Seattle over there. And so you had kids from different gangs going to the same school, and that was kind of rough. And Queen Anne wasn't wasn't ready for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It ain't what it is today. But even back then. And so, you know, that and in Cleveland High School, but I'll, I'll tell you, I was horrible at school. I used to, when they did book reports, I, would, I was not interested in reading books. I would, I would read the back of the book and make up the story, and I would get an A. But I was horrible. I was a 2.0 student. I, did, I wasn't great at math. You know what, was, what, what made me good, good, good grades was Mrs. Evans. Mrs. Evans had language arts class in high school, okay. and she said, here's chicken soup for the soul. And we were like, what the hell? Everybody's like, this is some third grade stuff, talking about love and compassion and stories that make all these people cry in the class. Like, what the hell is wrong with Mrs. Evans? Guess what? She taught me a lot. Soft skills, empathy, stories, things that make people move, make, make people think, make people appreciate life, understand death. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Like, it was soothing for me. It was therapy. And I was learning. And I aced her class. And she actually was a teacher that said, Steve, how you doing? She cared. She treated me like a person. Hmm. Not get, it, get in my class, read this book. So I, I learned a lot from that adult and that, you know, understanding. In a, in, a, in, in, a, in a moment where people were worried about, you know, who's dating, who, all the gossip, all the chaos, and all the, all the, all the, all the distractions. Like the world, what's happening in the world. And so yeah. I was always used to that. I was, you know, hey, look, high school, my, my, my high school had the highest dropout rate. Um, my middle school, I remember seeing kids in the lobby that couldn't even come to their first day of school because they were part of a wild tea gang, and apparently one of the wild teas shot up one of the Simpo Hoovers, yeah. and he, the, one of the Simpo Hoovers that was going to the school uh, who was a classmate of mine, was about to kill this dude in school. And I was, like, sitting there going, what the, uh, somebody got to do something. And then yeah. even in high school, the, the, the gang wars, I, I got in fights because I was an accomplice 
to or an ally to somebody that I went to school with. I didn't even know I wasn't part of this, but there was apparently a gang war, and he, this gentleman asked me to, a, 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 you know, a schoolmate asked me to ask somebody if they were part of another gang. These are, this is what school was like for me, wow. you know, and you're trying to, like, maneuver around this BS and yeah. trying to be a good human, and then you look at the way schools treat people like uh, Roy Chan. I, I still remember his name to this day because Roy Chan was, you know, head of president, head of this. He was like that typical, stereotypical, uh, what you would base somebody to be very smart, like the model minority. And they praised these people up, and that's what you had to look like to be smart. And you couldn't hang out with your friends if you were like that. So you've got to choose, see? You want to be smart, go to college and be like these guys, or do you want to be cool, go cruising, go to Alki? go to whatever, kick it with these people because you're going to need that safety around here. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're going to need us as a friend. So that's where group think comes in. I've knew about group think since way back because gangs and cliques, that's what it is, a group think. Yeah. And guess what? You think that people stop doing that when they go to college? You think they stop doing that after college? Nah. That pipeline goes way back, all the way into the workplace. Same yeah. behavior. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> You definitely hit on some key things there that I wanted to, to, to highlight real quickly. You know, you mentioned that you, you didn't do very well in school, which I think is very ironic because a lot of very successful entrepreneurs nowadays, actually, if you, if you heard or read uh, statistics, is that a lot of the really successful folks nowadays, they didn't do too well in school. They had 2.0, you know, or less. Mm -hmm. They weren't very academically mm -hmm. smart, but they were... They were street smart, but they had, you know, the capabilities to do well. They just didn't follow the format of what the schools or the institutions had in place for them to actually excel in. And so, you know, fast forward a little bit. If we were to look at some of the defining moments in your life, you know, where you've been throughout high school, when was it that you started to develop the, the entrepreneurial spirit, if you will, and then take me to, you know, how you ended up starting one of your businesses. You can take me to that. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I love this. And you know what? Speaking of that, if you think about marijuana, mm -hmm. Elon Musk smoking marijuana, you know, you had presidents who have smoked cigarettes or marijuana, and you think about it. Marijuana is now legal. It became a billion-dollar valuation. But if you just look at marijuana and the taboo or just saying that word or even just like Mortal Kombat, back in the days, Mortal Kombat was like, oh, it's such a bad thing. People are going to go around killing each other because of Mortal Kombat. Well, it's just how you looked at it. It's just what you perceive of it. It's what you've been conditioned to believe. And that's the same thing with school or people's intelligence and the bias that we've been conditioned to discriminate people on. This is what a smart person is supposed to look like and act like and talk like and do, and this is what a stupid person looks like and supposed to do. And sometimes these days what's been proven is there's a switch, meaning what you thought was smart, is actually stupid. And what you thought is stupid is actually very smart. So it's all how you look at it and the times, and sometimes people are just coming up to awakening. And so I just wanted to touch upon that subject that, you know, I'm really glad that you kind of um, point that out. But uh, back to, your, uh, back to the, your question again. So, um, you know, later on in life, when did I become uh, 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 open to this? Well, Scott Kirkerberg, um, when I went to an interview – I was probably 16 and a half. Uh, this is what made me drop out of high school, too. <laughs> so even though I have a university, uh, Washington Foster School of Business certificate, a mm -hmm. Dale Carnegie certificate, 
uh, Cornell University certificate. I went to Rent Tech and made it on the dean's list my first quarter. Like I could say all that stuff now, and I did like flying colors on my test, and, and, and those are the they test like in Highline three different areas. Obviously, mm-hmm. math is something that I freaking hate, and I, I don't I, I don't even care for. But I do a lot of math, and I'll tell you that math story later. How does somebody that hates math go into a finance mortgage industry and succeed? Or right. in staffing where it's like you're like a bank and still succeed? Like, but, it's, again, it's about doing what you hate the most, too, sometimes, right? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, speaking of that, doing – I mean, I've always had a job. Like, I've always had hustle. Uh, my mom taught me hustle. So when I was young, she would send me off to Portland to go pick berries with my grandfather and fishing and all that. And I would pick berries, and I understood the hustle. People would wake up at 5 in the morning, and there's, like, this long roll of berries. And, you know, I was this kid in Seattle, like, yo, I'm dying my hair. I got earrings on, you know what I'm saying? I got the buckle belt with my whole neighborhood or some west side sign. I don't know. Uh, and thinking I'm cool, you know what I mean? And my mom's like, no, you got to go to Portland. My grandpa's like, I don't care what kind of cool you are. You ain't going to do none of that here. We're going to take you to the berry farm, and you're going to be learning how to make money because that's how your grandfather makes money. And I was like, what the heck? Like, damn, like people actually make money a living like this. Like this is how they can even afford to pay the housing project. So, you know, at an early age, I learned the value of $5 an hour because I was making less than that. I mean, we would be at the berry farm from 5 in the morning Young kids, me and my, you know, cousin, adopted brother, uh, we would sit there, and I remember the sound, because you put a bucket around your uh, waist, and it'd be like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. What that noise is, is blueberries, and there's a method that you would have to learn on how to pick the blueberries or the raspberries. It could be one or the other. And I just remember seeing those little damn bugs. I hated those bugs. They're like the little, little pincher bugs under the leaf. And I'm like, dang, there's bugs, it stinks, where do you poop? What do you pee? What do you eat? Like, I got to, oh, man, this is child labor. But everyone was enjoying it. I was like, I hate my mother. Like, you know, thinking in my head, like, do, 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 rolls. And then if you fill up your bucket, you're, like, looking down your road. You're like, oh, man, I, I, I did good. But guess what? You got to go dump your bucket into this rack. Well, that, once you dump your bucket, that rack only probably covers 25 to 30% of that. Well, back to the drawing board. Do, 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 do. Go back and dump it. And then by the time you get one rack, you're like, ooh, I made one rack. Well, guess what? Everyone's on the three, four, five racks, and you better hurry up because, you know, people leave at like two or three or something like that. And I was like, dang. So one rack, when you go weigh it, like they're like, oh, it'd be like, you know, seven pounds, whatever, whatever. You're, you're weighing it, and you only get like a couple dollars. And I, was, I remember that, right? And that taught me a lot. And then it trickled into when I became a dishwasher in like seventh, eighth grade. You see, Ernest, I was trying to make money because money was going to get me out. Money was going to protect me. It wasn't everything, but it was as, to a poor kid, it was anything and everything, meaning better than what I had. You know, it meant bus fare to go to Westlake. It meant something to get out of this neighborhood or the, the mindset of I'm stuck here forever. You know what I mean? And so I, I was dishwashing, uh, like I would leave 7th, 8th grade dishwashing at, uh, in Queen Anne, um, you know, until like 1 in the morning, catching the bus home. I was really out here on this. I mean, just think about it. That's 12, just take a 12, 13-year-old child right now. Tell them after 8th grade, go and go do dishwashing until like 
midnight, then go home, catch the bus. Man, I almost got stabbed up in the bus. True story. My son, I almost got stabbed. Riding the bus home, man. Like, the hell? I've seen, I've seen people get beat. I mean, you see all kinds of stuff. Now, imagine seeing that at a young age. That's trauma. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And so, mm-hmm. so that, was, that was that. And then in high school, I was doing, you know, odd jobs. And then I finally found this guy named Scott Kirkeberg who ran a company called Kodiak Mortgage. Okay. I, was, I had to be in 11th grade. Kodiak Mortgage, this is the turning point of my life. Okay. Scott Kirkenberg, I walked into his office. I had a be- I'm stupid. I don't know nothing about no professional interview. I go to Bellevue. I'm, I'm, I'm just a kid responding to a paper. I heard there's like, you know, you can make $60 an hour. You know, I'm like, yo, what's up? Got nothing to lose, eh? Came in there. You know, I'm just a kid in high school. I heard you can make $60 an hour, you know. You said 16 and up. You know, I'm good. So I'm, I'm here, you know, like, what's up? And he's like, oh, the training class might be full. I was like, What? I was like, oh, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. I was like, hey, uh, I just want to let you know, Scott, th- thank you for your time, you know. Because uh, you know, he was basically going to do, he, he told me, this. He, was, he said, I was going to pencil pitch you. I was like, what's a pencil pitch? Where I just write you, you know, go, go through the whole interview, write it down, and you're done. And I just pencil pitch you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, he goes, come on in real quick. There was must have been something. Because I remember how he looked at me and, and rest in peace his soul. I mean, like, he touched thousands of lives. Y'all don't even know him, man. Like, this guy... Like, I, I need to pay homage to him. But um, he comes, we go into this office, he sits me down, and he goes, um, do you know what a, a, an objection or a rebuttal is? I said, no. He goes, well, I gave you uh, uh, an objection. And I, and I go, uh-huh. And he goes, and you rebuttaled me. Like, what if I said not interested to your product? What would you say? Or, like, if I told you, you know, like when I told you the training class was full, I said, well, you know what, Scott? There's going to be a lot of people that come in here after me, and they're going to tell you this. They're going to tell you that. How about you let me show you? I'm willing to show you that I'm going to do whatever it takes to do the da-da-da-da. Guess what, y'all? He's like, you know what? What you doing tonight at 530? He's like, come on back to the training class. The rest was history. I learned what an objection was. I learned what a rebuttal was. I learned that I naturally did that because I was a rebel. I learned how to rank. Like your mama jokes, I had to do that. In, in middle school, so that way the gangbangers didn't mess with me. They would laugh at my jokes. I'd be like, and, and they were racial jokes. Think about it. I was being, I'm doing diversity inclusion, but back in the days, I had to say jokes and yo mama jokes, and we, poor people are crying on poor people. You're so poor, you, I walked into your house, two cockroaches tripped me, and a rat stole my wallet. Ha, everyone would laugh. I used to be good with that, rebuttals. I would be fast. And so Scott heard that. And he was like, man, come on to the training class. Well, 11th grade, I was, in, I was uh, in, in their training class. I was employee number 27. Everyone before me, gone, didn't make it, fired, whatever. Eliminate them. So basically, I was number one employee. Now, everyone after me, until the hundreds, didn't make it. And then there's glimpse. So for every hundred, only maybe one, it's like the Marines. You know, special forces almost, like only the elite of the elite make it or the people that are stupid enough to stay that long or had no choice. And so that's, how, that's what caused me to, to learn about things because every day was a motivational day. Uh, before you start calling on the phone from 5 to 9, you're getting beat up. And so what Scott taught me was this mental gym. And you know what? You being from... You know, uh, you, you said military brat, like with an mm-hmm. army background and seeing the training and boot camp or like Tough Mudder or Discipline. I'll tell right. you what, I was basically getting my butt kicked every day, but motivated. So 
So they beat you. They, so they lift you up because they know you're going to get beat down from five to nine. Not interested. What the hell are you calling me? Not interested. Not interested. I don't want to refinance. Blah, 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 blah. And you're just dialing, smiling, tucked in, and, you know, Scott would just be sitting there coaching you on the side. And I, I learned it. I became the number one in my, in my branch. I became the top employee. I broke and set records. I created the new training manual. I trained hundreds of people. I moved all the way to, up to assistant manager. And one day he told me, what are you going to high school for? And I was like, yeah, you're right. He's like, you plan to go to college? I was like, well, I ain't nobody really talking about college. It's my senior year. I have two more credits to go, Ernest. And he's like, well, ask your, ask your teacher how much she makes for a living. I was like, all right. And if, she, if you make more than her, will you quit? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, of course. Like, forget college, man. I'm about to laugh at everybody, you know. And he, he, he encouraged me to take a stupid leap of faith, basically. Uh, he goes, hey, I don't have my, my high school diploma. Look how much, you see how much money I make. He's rolling the dough. I mean, Ernest, back in this days in like 98, 99, these folks were driving Ferraris and Lambos and <laughs> that yeah. matched their SUV back in those days. And so right. think about me, a kid from the hood, yeah. experiences, and they're about to give me a job. It's like signing to a major label. So Scott taught me everything. And, you know, um, he said, hey, I said, hey, I make more money than her. She makes like $20-something thousand dollars a year. And he goes, you're on pace to make about 40000 I was 17, 18 years old. About to, yes, before, this is how I moved out on my own at 17, too, because I was making my own money. And I was, a, I was a great telemarketer. I was setting appointments. I made a lot of loan officers rich. I learned the lingo. I picked up the script. It's like graphing, you know, script writing, script reading, and it was acting. And I, and I learned. And I was good at prank calls. I was good at rebuttals. I was good at snapping. And so I was just talking on the phone all day long. And, um, you know, you would be in this cubicle, staring at a cubicle. So I was in a studio, basically, doing voiceovers almost like, you know, and, and, um, and that's what it was because you couldn't sell them face-to-face. You know, back in those days, it was, you know, and so I dropped out of high school thinking this is going to be it. I moved out into my own place, all that stuff, and then trials and tribulation hit. When I hit 18, I ran into a lot of young, dumb mistakes that I was doing, and I had to live up to those consequences, you know. I, when I turned 18, I, I picked up a gambling habit. <laughs> right when I turned 18, I was like, let's get into the casino. We gambling. So I've always been a, a, a risk taker because I, I always felt like I never had anything to lose. Like, I really felt like I was supposed to lose, and so everything's a win. So that's how I always felt, even though I, even in the times that I, that I lost. And so anyways, that's what took me a turn is God would be so motivating because the job, it was a boiler room. The environment was a boiler room. Not a lot of people made it. It was abuse. I mean, people cried at work. You know what I mean? Uh, it, would, it would not be tolerated today. It would be all over the news today, and people would be going to jail for the treatment that they, they, they put me through. I'm talking about getting hit with a golf club by his assistant manager, Ben. Um, he'd be like, shut up and dial, fucking and dial, boink. And I'm like, dang. Like, why are you, like, and again, it's a white male privilege, and he was mistreating me, but what, what am I going to say? I'm a right. stupid kid from the ghetto, telemarketer, <laughs> so what if you're number one? I'm the assistant manager. I'll fire your ass tomorrow. So I ain't going to let that happen. You know, I'm not going to jeopardize what I had. So for my own safety, I, that's why, Ernest, I talk with a lot of passion when I talk about diversity and inclusion in mm-hmm. the workplace, people's safety, because and I fucking went through that shit. I went through some painful shit, and I had mm-hmm. to sit there and smile and come to work every day for survival. It's yeah. different. 
when you got a mama, a daddy, or whatever, you know, if people are like, I, you know, like people, I, I know millennials get a bad rap, and I don't want to give them a bad rap. I think they have, I think they're, I think millennials are showing us, and I feel like the J. Cole middle child, but um, millennials are showing us, like, hey, you could be quick, innovative. You, you know, you, there's an Amazon, you know what I'm saying? There's a Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't got to be so stuck in the old ways. And, right. you know, basically what I'm trying to say is, like, <laughs> I, feel like, I, feel like, I feel like that's so key is that we always continuously evolve ourselves, mm-hmm. who we are, who, 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 we, who we can become. And, and it, was, it was really, yeah, it's survival reason. That's why. I had no other choice. It was that or die or kill somebody or rob somebody. And, you know, having a mother, having a sister, seeing how death and destruction has done to my community or to my own family, I don't want that shit. I don't want none of that shit. And right. if I and, – and, and, and somehow, some way, I managed to, 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 to say no and still um, – provide a safety barrier for me where I didn't have to join gangs, even though I was cool and affiliated and they didn't, but they didn't beat me up because I was a sucker or something that they could rob. So I was, I really had to flow a lot. That's why I was so in love with Bruce Lee and his teaching is because, or Gary Vaynerchuk is because it's, it's about the flow. Mm-hmm. You really got to be able to flow. You could flow from the streets to the industry, from survival to civilian life. You know what I mean? Like there's a flow, but there's a madness and the, and the disruption and the serve. I mean, that's why we have PTSD, mental health, all these things, trauma that are people just starting to collect and realize these days. Yeah. That's well, a definitely. long-winded way of, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> Again, you know, you, there's a lot of deep conversations here, which I think the audience is really going to love. But a couple of key points that I wanted to just kind of take away from that. I mean, you, you definitely, you faced adversity growing up. You know, like you said, you had a very tough childhood. You didn't go into the gangs, but you, you know, you, you knew how to associate with them, but not really intertwine or get deep into the gang activities, which I think at that age, you probably realized between, you know, the right path and the wrong path, and you just kind of hung out with them because it's, it's human nature as we're growing up, right, that you want to associate. Yep. So you don't want to you know, get into an area or a crowd that you feel that can take you down the wrong path, which I think you, you are very observant. So that's one thing that I noticed about highly successful people is that they're self-aware. I think that's something that you kind of um, touched upon, you know, during, during your conversation. So that's something that I, I noticed uh, about you. And another thing, too, that you mentioned is that growing up, you know, there were things that, again, you faced. You, like you said, when you were in eighth grade, you were, you were working, you know, hard labor, if you will. But at the same time, you know, you were trying to develop mental toughness uh, because that's, mm-hmm. at that point, I think that those were the defining moments that were actually trying to shape you to the person to who eventually, would, you know, you would become right now, believe it or not. I believe that some of those aspects of your life probably transmuted into who you are today. And then also, uh, on top of that, is that you're, you're definitely a risk taker, you know, um, for you to step out of the the bounds of what you're normally used to, I think that you taking that risk to get out of your norm, outside of that culture that you were so used to and step out of trying to make yourself better, I think is another aspect that I think is very key for people to really understand. And then all of a sudden you get into the telemarketing industry and you mentioned Scott kind of taking you in, really showing you the ropes and, and really understanding that aspect of the business. And I think you gravitated towards that is what I'm understanding. And then that kind of shaped you now to where you got the taste of money. You understand where people are coming from. So this opened up a whole new world to you. So then take me now, Stephen, if 
when did SM Diversity actually start, and why did you start it? Thank you. Yeah, um, you know, when I, I was hesitant to start it because after the whole Scott thing and after when he went away, uh, the co- that company actually ended up because they made a bad decision in opening up an Arizona branch without our guidance and our advice. Because uh, okay. we opened up their Everett, Bellevue, and Federal Way branch and mm-hmm. was highly successful. One of the top gener- lead-generating um, uh, marketing rooms uh, in the mortgage industry at the time. So that, when that folded, I ended up um, taking a lot of, and again, that was my first round of entrepreneurship. This was real business. One of our business partners got a loan from his dad for $10,000. We found a client. Uh, his name was Lee, uh, lawyer-turned-mortgage broker, and he's like, I believe in y'all. I'll give y'all $10,000 for a bunch of leads. And, and then we started becoming this marketing room that was generating leads, and we got stupid real, and smart going, wait, why are we giving these leads away? We can just be hiring loan officers who are already on commission and processors and open up another suite. So in Everett, we have three suites, processors, loan officers, telemarketers, and we pivot on our own. It was me. Doug Ching, David Nakamura, David, who's now at Microsoft, uh, signed a nice big package with them. And then before that, he was at Bing Maps, and you know he's the one that got me into the staffing recruiting uh, industry at an agency I used to work out of. So shout out to him, uh, Douglas Ching, who ended up taking the company even further, even when I left the company, and and kind of you know uh, released my my interest in the company when when th- when things were interesting. Um, he uh, he took the company, pivoted and used the resources to become market, uh, sorry, uh, it's called Active Rain. He became the VP of Active Rain, which think of a, before LinkedIn and MySpace, the, the largest online real estate social group. And he took that and they sold and valued in the millions to market leader who then bought, got bought by Trulio, who then I think got bought by somebody else. So the whole point that I'm trying to make is some, some, a lot of beautiful things came out of it. And the people that we train became entrepreneurs or worked at Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft. So a lot of the people that came out of my cohort of the hard knocks of Scott Kirkenberg's training um, went on to do a lot of great things. So with that said, when I went on and left, I went into corporate America. I was like, screw this. I'm going into corporate America. And so I had my stint in corporate America from mortgage, and that's where I got my tech bug is, you know, when people ask me, like, why did I create SM Diversity? Because my own personal journey, which isn't even personal anymore, meaning everyone else is dealing with this. We just didn't know how to talk about it, how to connect. And then when you start looking for it, you go, whoa, there's more cases like this. Meaning my journey was difficult. When I transitioned, I got lucky. Not a lot of people get lucky like that. Meaning I happened to be one of the first people that um, created uh, where, I could, where you could extract rate sheet matrices that came in fax machines uh, by the hundreds from different lenders and, and, and extract them into a, like, a, like a code proprietary database that allows thousands of mortgage brokers across America to go into this internet, right, before the internet was really popular, um, to go to the internet and actually look at the best interest rates today. Now, you could do that today. Think of Expedia. Today, you can go on Expedia and search all these uh, uh, airlines. Well, back in those days, you couldn't do that for mortgage lenders. You would have to look at each matrix, loan-to-value, debt-to-income, credit score, loan-to-value, debt-to-income, and, and, and it was like a core maze. We, I got lucky, and I found this company out of Gig Harbor that gave me the shot in being a, 
account manager, but I learned how to do database administration. I learned how to write code. I learned how to test it. Um, so I was like a database administrator, account consultant. And the only reason why I got to work there, Ernest, is because I spoke the native mortgage language. And tech people didn't talk, talk like that then. And our folks didn't talk tech, and neither did I, but I sure learned. And so that's what gave me the bug. I was like, I want to stay in tech, even when the company, you know, like they did some shifts and changes and as it moved. But I was like, everyone rejected me. They're like, you don't got a degree. I got, I got rejected, rejected, rejected because I didn't look the part. I didn't talk the part. And then it was a telecom company that hired me under sales, Quest, that really gave me my opportunity. And I became like the number one account consultant. But Quest gave me the opportunity to really expand my skills into project management, project coordination, sales, and tech. Even though it was a tech tech, it was telecom tech. So I worked with engineers, hardware, uh, billing, finance, working with big CTOs. Like I was managing Allstate, McDonald's, State Farm. Um, I was their main point of contact. And we, I was part of the dedicated account team. And so I ran these things. And, and, and I, you know, when they switched over to Salesforce, I was leading some of the implementations. And I became the account, they voted me as the account consultant of the year. And I was, you want to talk about school. I was such a bad student. I thought I could, I was, I was not your typical, oh, I'm going to be the best employee. I was like, ah, whatever. I'm going to hang my coat here. I'm going to retire. And it shook me up. I realized, oh my goodness, this is why I need to go back into business. Because after five, six, scares and waves of layoffs and massive mergers and more layoffs and layoffs and people crying at their death, all that, it finally hit me. It freaking hit the whole entire 13th floor. Everyone got laid off, regardless who you were. I saw people there were 40 years invested that was like, all right, you've got to pack up your stuff in a box. And I was like, whoa, are you serious right now? Like, this is, what? The, man, we would be fighting right now if I had a business with you and after 40 years you're going to walk some security guards to come escort me out, I get the safety precaution measures and people going, quote, unquote, you know, violent and all that. So I get it. But that was just, it was so insensitive. It was so, it, here's Lee Hutch Harrison. Here's your path towards the, your next life. And we're going to send you a severance pay. Like, you're happy because you're like, whoa, did I just get a $30,000 check? And then you're like, wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> but I better make that last because I don't know what's going to happen. I, 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 I haven't been in the market since 30 years. So <laughs> this is what made me go, I'm going to start my own business one day, one mm -hmm. day. That's what sparked me to help with the staffing recruiting business. Gotcha. Well, after that layoff happened, that's how I got into the staffing recruiting business was because somebody from the mortgage industry told me about the staffing recruiting business and how much money you can make. I got in. I had to learn back. I, I thought I'd take a step back, Ernest, because I had to learn. I had to bring out my telemarketing skills again. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm telemarketing like this again. I was, you know, I felt humiliated because here's this guy that was the number one account consultant for the last five years at a billion-dollar company called Quest, and I thought it was fancy, and, you know, life was easy and great. And then, you know, and I'm like, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm working at this cutthroat agency. And then, I, and, and then I ended up taking a step up further, worked at another agency, and they were kind of more like the Beverly Hills of agency. And I kind of got to see different flavors and different accounts. And I was like, wait a minute. Let me get this right. Because y'all give me a, a yacht, y'all give me tickets to shows, events, so I can do whatever I want. I don't got to report to anybody. This reminds me of my tech days. That's why I, got, I caught the tech bug. When I worked in tech, they were like, yeah, the fridge is fully stocked. You can have whatever you want and make yourself some espresso and have a bagel. 
earnest. When you tell a kid from Holly Park that in Gig Harbor, <laughs> and I'm, I'm used to this chaotic cutthroat boiler room environment in the mortgage business, and then I go to this, I'm like, oh, my God, I want to stay in Disneyland. That's why I wanted to stay in tech, because I was like, tech is Disneyland. I can't wait to work at Google one day or work at Microsoft one day. Those are my dreams. It was, yeah. it was bloated dreams, but that's what made me do it. And then, you know, the agency that I worked with gave me everything. They gave me marketing, like everything. And it was a big agency, 300-plus consultants. And I, I, I was one of their first to diversify their business. I was one of the first to prove the model that you can invest into STEM advocacy and get clients from there. I generated six-figure, seven-figure clients uh, for them in revenues. I became, like, quickly top-ranking, you know, person there. And I got abused. I got backdoor abused by the CEO and founder who I, to this day, if I was to name his name and what he's done and all the witnesses that was there to witness it, that was silent about it too, um, it's, you know, when I watched the show 13 Reasons Why, and I hate to talk about suicide, but mental health, suicide is a real thing too for a lot of folks, mm -hmm. uh, including myself. Um, it was a very the most turning moment in my life that sparked SM diversity because one, it was like enough, enough, enough is enough, right? The abuse, the, 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 the clicks, the, 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 the discrimination of you don't have this, you're not qualified, you're not culture fit. The fact that we have to conform all this stuff that the fact that I had a business before and then people don't, don't treat me like, you know, when you, when you had a business before and you go to corporate America, they're like, sit your ass down. You're just another corporate worker. Who cares what you've done? And they don't respect none of that, you know? And I'm like, damn. Like, and they treat you like, oh, well, you did have a business versus like, wow, you know? And so the, after I left that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go create my own company. And I almost thought that I was going to get blackballed because this person, um, you know, again, I, I, let's just put it this way. After two and a half years thinking this person was Santa Claus, myself and almost everyone there, I would say 98% of the company that was there at the time that I worked with, all left. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and I'm talking about people that had three hundred to $500,000 in annual income mm -hmm. and never needed to leave, but they understood that they needed to leave. Yeah. Does that make sense? And so, mm -hmm. and, so, and so this person here you know, runs around town parading like he's Santa Claus, but he's a very abusive person. And I can only imagine the abuse of people like him in all sorts of companies that we need to vet out. These are safe spaces. This is space for business to conduct. And, 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 and here's the thing. Those people are robbing your business. He robbed his business. If he, if he wasn't the founder, but he was the appointed CEO, he was robbing his business by mistreating his employee for his own power, his own privilege, and his own selfishness, and his own bad habits that he was willing to uncheck and unlearn and recondition. So we had to bear the burden as employees. And so when I left that, I said, well, you know what? It's time to go back into entrepreneurship. I had the best network. I had the best circles that I could be advised, and I had the best coaches. Um, and my coaches were very, I consider them OGs in the game. And so I got coaching. And one of the books that sparked my mind, Ernest, was Blue Ocean Strategy. They said, nice. before you start a business and a staffing firm, what are you going to do to separate yourself from the, the red ocean of people that are all saying this? Oh, every, I mean, like, you know, and we play the game. He's like, all right, go ahead. Tell me what clients you work with. All right, cool. Well, we do the same thing. We work with those clients too. I'm like, damn, okay. Uh, we were established in 1970. Oh, we were established in 1960. 
And we kept on going back and forth, and I was like, damn. He goes, now, now do you get my point? That's the Red Ocean. Everybody sounds alike. Everybody's saying who does what, big fish eat little fish, big bank, big bank, big little bank, whatever. And he's like, you've got to have a niche, but not a niche where people can't access it, but it's something that, you know, you're known for. And he goes, and, you know, he was like, again, this is the, the person that was talking to me about this is a high-level consultant that has gone all over the world. Um, and, and we, we spent a four-hour conversation on why he didn't think I should be calling myself a consultant versus what a real consultant is and versus business development. So, again, this is the type of person that I was sparring with here, and he's a very, very intellectual human being. And he was saying, you know what, um, you should really, since you're so, because of my personal story, because of my background, because of my past, because of the situation, he goes, you know, and, and because of my passion around STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, and advocacy, he was like, you should really look at this thing called diversity. Like, like I was like, okay, I'm diverse. What do you mean diversity? Like, that's why we're working on the STEM workforce pipeline, right, to get more people of color, women interested in gaming, tech, creative, blah, 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 economic reasons. I knew all the facts and facts, right? Like, did you know uh, out of 100 high school students, only nine will graduate with science, technology, engineering, math degrees? However, the nine does not mean that the workforce pipeline is going to be full enough because we're going to have jobs that are going to have so much demand in science, technology, engineering, and math, and now we don't have the workforce pipeline, which is good for staff and recruiting firms, but it's also bad for the industry. Does, does that make sense? And yeah. so I learned that. I learned that, and I was like, whoa. And so that was what fueled all of that. Like it was a culmination of all of that that said, you know what, I'm a tattooist. I have horrible tattoos on my arm. I think this is going to be a, a tattoo that I actually can live with, and I'm going to tattoo it on my name. And I read somewhere, like, you know, your name, people should already know what you do based on the name of your company. Like, maybe that's a trick, show up in a phone book or something. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to let people know. Diversity, that's what I stand for. That's the gang. If I'm going to get jumped into something and I'm going to die and it's a legacy, call it diversity. You know, and that's what I'm going to stand for. That's my legacy that I'm going to be known for. I'm not going to be known for being the best salesperson. I'm not going to be known for having the biggest staffing, million-dollar uh, staffing firm or what, whatever have you, right? I'm going to be known for the impact and legacy that I left and, and, and the greatness, and I think that's the niche. We're not, we, we don't have to – whatever it is, whatever it goes. And so – and I even had people that were – this would benefit them that would – that actually they've been so conditioned where they're like – do you think that we should really stick with this diversity name? And I'm like, have you fucking looked in the mirror? This is your, this is you, this is for you, man. And women, like, what do you mean? Should we not, you, what do you want to do? You want to keep hiding our identity forever? And so, you know, that's some diversity. That's what we created. And, 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 and with my music and entertainment background, I remember one time watching, maybe it was The Simpsons, when they were like, uh, if a tree falls in a forest, does it make a noise? And uh, Lisa Simpson must have said, no, it doesn't, because nobody was there to hear it. And so I was like, you know what? That's some diversity. Even if a freaking twig falls in the ground, I'm going to make the loudest noise so everybody can hear it and everybody can see it. Because they weren't expecting that little twig to drop down the ground. Or like with Tupac said about how the roads that grew from concrete, we're so busy looking at the concrete and the dirty pedals. We forget this is a rose that grew from concrete. So at the end of the day, if diversity even gets one client, that's one client. We man, mark that up on the board. You know, that's yeah. one. You know, yeah. that's better than nothing. 
and, and, and nobody else is doing it. So that was the blue ocean strategy. Okay. Okay. What did Circus Soleil do to the circus industry? What did Southwest Airlines do to the airline industry? What did Yellowtail Wines do to the wine industry? It's complementing it. And so I'm like, I'm not here to change staff and recruiting. I'm going to leave that to people that are doing it today, technologists, that people are excited about it. I'm here to complement it. Okay. I'm here to collaborate with it. I'm here yeah, to tell yeah. the staffing industry, recruiters, HR, hey, you know this staffing map that's 12, 12 different steps, phone screens, the orientation, the onboarding, to the first 90 days? It's all fucked up, y'all. It's all leaking. Can yeah. we first, instead of deny, uh -huh. why don't we just look at admitting it and looking at improving and looking at it more inclusive and learn and design it that way, and then let's play the cards again. Now let's deal out the cards. Let's make sure that there's equity in the chips and yeah, the people yeah. that's at the table, and then let's do it. And that's what Essence Diversity's mission is, is that, one, I was like, hey, we got to have more – I want you to think crazy rich Asians and uh, Black Panther. You know, like Ken Jong, the comedian, said, it's, it's Yellow Panther. Like, I, that's how I felt. Like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to use my skill. Uh, remember how I told you about how um, one side and the other side? What I mean by this is um, not a lot of people that are doing diversity and inclusion work understand network, uh, marketing, sales, business development. They're really good practitioners in teaching, architecting, talking about like 60 pages, 100 page report about diversity and inclusion. They're great at that, and I want them to be great at that. But they don't know how to do marketing. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, there's a lot of people that do marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, but they don't know shit about boxing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a, you know, Roger Mayweather. <laughs> but uh, that's, how I, that's how it sounds when people, when people talk about D&I, because I'm like, you, yeah, that's great. You're diverse, whatever. You're, are, are you inclusive? Do you understand inclusive behavior? How deep do you go in DNI? And and they, they don't know how to cross over either. So just like when I was in the mortgage industry, I was like, oh snap. So you mean mortgage people don't talk tech? And tech people don't talk mortgage? But I can kind of float in between? Cool. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so I was like, oh, I could float in between. And that's what it was. Is is I was like, I mean I, I know how to promote the message and the cause and the content. Think of Susan G. Coleman. I saw a TED talk one time where they said, you know, people in nonprofits are being scrutinized for the million-dollar paycheck. Now, I get it. Unlike, like, higher, like, the wounded warriors where people are fighting jets and, you know, the dollar to the, to the end user, and I'm sure that you being, you know, with a military family, it's awful if you hear about stuff like that. Like, y'all been benefiting at the top end, executive end, and not having the dollars go down to the cause and the, and the solution. That's horrible. But, like, with Susie G. Coleman or a lot of these other like YMCA and all these, these are actually effective, um, cause-driven nonprofits, right? And here's what the TEDx was saying. It was like, why are we scrutinizing those CEOs? Don't you want those CEOs to be in that position and pay them that? Otherwise, where are they going to go? To a for-profit with no cause attached to it. And then nobody's going to work on Susan G. Komen. So if we want to pay them a million dollars and the dollars still go to the cause and the contribution, and yet you get more donors, meaning – you want to just stick at 30000 and do a little march, or do you want to get $3 million and do a really big march like Susan G. Coleman? Because you're able to take a message or a music or a movie and get a lot of support. Yeah. It, you know, in the book Mindset, athletes, nobody does it themselves. And, Ernest, you can respect that. Nobody 
does it themselves. There's no athlete or sport that you do yourself. Yep. It, yep. it requires everything from the referee to, to everything. Exactly. Everything, Co- competitors, timing, all that. Otherwise, you just be in a corner. So right. the, the reason why I talk about movies, music, message, a tree falling in the forest is because I know how to get that cause out to the market. MLK was great at doing that. Bruce Lee was great at doing that. Tupac is great at doing that. Now, now I'm not trying to be none of them. And people might be like, well, well you know what? That, that's somebody you know, chasing fame or fortune. No, 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 no. I'm not chasing none of that. All I'm saying is people that criticize us for doing that, for speaking out our minds, and, you know, I, I get this whole be silent, be humble, be quiet, be noble, whisper, don't be too loud. I get it because there's a lot of people doing reckless shit, but that's the same shit that they were trying to tell people. They, they were trying to tell Bruce Lee that. You don't belong in the movie. Oh, this is Enter the Dragon. You know, Asians that lead male role. Come on, Brucey. Those days are over for you. And this is actually fact. They, they told him that. Martin Luther King, come on, Martin. Why are you, why you, why are you fighting for the Vietnamese people, Martin? You know, Malcolm. You know, to every great leader, Tupac, like, you know, like to every great leader that has accomplished anything, they were met with a lot of adversity and they had to show a lot of resiliency. And so in essence, diversity and where we position ourselves in the industry, we're a big target. Yep. There's already people that don't want to lose their power and their privilege. They don't want to share it. There's already a lot of people that are ignorant to new information. There's a lot of people that go, oh, lower the bar. Oh, we got a affirmative action, equal opportunity. They have a bad taste in their mouth. They believe that diversity is stupid. They don't understand inclusion, behavior. They don't think because they have a fixed mindset. Well, they, that's the same thing as a sports athlete that doesn't have a growth mindset that isn't coachable. Michael Jordan had a coach. Mayweather and all the greats had a coach. Even acting coaches, singing coaches. There's a coach for everyone. There's a head maker for everyone. And until you understand and learn to be that way, and rest in peace to Scott Kirkenberg, because the first thing he ever taught me in life and in business was these words. Steve, rest in peace, Scott. (laughs) Think of of it like a sponge. Yeah. I want you to... To, to soak up all of it and be coachable. That's awesome. So basically, you know, what you said there really resonates, uh, you know, to me, and I can understand, you know, definitely where where you're coming from. And now I kind of realize exactly how you started SM Diversity. It was basically because of, you know, working in corporate America, you got impacted by, yep. you know, the, the layoff, the downsizing, which I think is what I'm noticing now, especially in the marketplace or at least in this, you know, these last five to ten years is that there's a shift in mindset just in terms of how people are actually working now in corporate and how they actually are maybe intertwining that with entrepreneurship. So it's just interesting how you basically created your own niche coming from corporate, finding uh, a niche, if you will, within this diversity, uh, SM diversity and inclusion piece, and then developing it into your own. That basically became you. And like you said, this is going to be a legacy that you're going to leave behind, basically, is the stamp of this is me. This is, this is who I am. And so I, I think that's great. That kind of leads me to the next thing because you touched upon legacy there. So I've got a couple things for you before we get into the next segment of the interesting part of our uh, interview is if you can kind of give me some piece of advice. Say if there was a, an aspiring entrepreneur that listening to this, 
and they're like, you know what, what uh, Stephen is saying really resonates to me. You know, there's only a few things, life experiences that you would suggest. What would that be? If you can give me two or three. Yeah. Two or three. Here it is. The first yeah. one is this. Be aware that you have to do what you need to do first in order to do what you want later whenever, with whoever, whatever that is. And what I mean by that is everyone wants to party, have the bling bing, live the life, go on vacation. They want to, look, everybody wants the six pack without putting on the work. Everybody wants the, you know, the, the, the enhancement and features and they want to take a shortcut. Yeah, sure, you can buy your way to that, but that's not how life works, right? You, so a lot of it does require work regardless. Whatever path it is, you're, everyone's going to realize th- there's work. Now, what there should be is obstacles, and that's what's going on. Is, but you have to be aware, aware of that. So the first life tip is understand you've got to do what you have to do, meaning you might be at a job right now, you hate your boss. You hate, you hate the company, the racist, you hate, you hate it, hate it, hate it, whatever it is. It might be bad. But you know what you, why you show up every day? It's because you have a house, a mortgage. You know, and you might feel stuck. But I want you people to know you don't have to be stuck. When I was working at Wendy's on the fries, I was like, every day, while I'm not on these fries, I better start thinking about how to get the heck out of these fries. When I was living out in the, you know, you know in, in the housing projects, I was like, Man, how do I get out of this neighborhood? You know what I mean? I want, the, I, want a, I, want a, I want a nice things in my life too. You know what I mean? So I had to reverse engineer it. What are you doing? And I was relentless about it. So you always have to do what you need to do first. Mm-hmm. And so take care of what you need to do first in order for you to do what you want later. Now, in order for you to do what you want later, what do you, you know, Gary Vee has his best advice. If you don't like your nine to five, what are you doing between five to nine? You have no excuses. And ain't nobody going to come knock on your door tomorrow now, if you have families, cousins, mom, and dad that can encourage you, consider that a coach, and they're going to encourage you, and they're going to they're going to give you that backup plan. But for me, I had to do what I had to do. You got if you got to take two, three jobs, you just to support your your hobby or your your passion. Go do that. So number one, everyone wants to be a DJ full time, but maybe mm-hmm. you got to work at T-Mobile. Maybe you got to work at a customer service call center until you could raise up enough money. Maybe you've got to take on an Uber driver, you know, driving gigs, so that way you could support and pay for a plane ticket. You know, I had to do what I had to do. I, I, yeah, that's, how I, that's, how, that's why I got into the club promotion business. I had to do what I needed to do first. I was like, if I'm not going to get signed to a music label, like my friends Far East Movement, they got signed to Interscope Records, congratulations to them. Again, I got to see champions before they were even in the ring. You know what I mean? And so that's Far East Movement story. But, um, you know, going back to what I was saying, they had to do what they had to do. They had to get into an independent label. So, again, I had to work a job, you know, in order to go back to uh, entrepreneurship. And, some, you know, you have to do what you have to do because people have children, people have responsibilities. So the, it might be easy. Like my buddy, he was traveling. Oh, just travel everywhere you want to go, whenever you want to go. Man, that's fucking easy for you to say. It's, 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 a little quick story. My friend used to be like, you know what, Steve? You should be going to CrossFit with me every day. What time do you go? Uh, 5.30, okay, that's good, that's good. Do you have two kids? Oh, no, you don't? Okay, well, when you have two kids, why don't you tell me that you can go at 5.30 or 6.30 to CrossFit every day? Now, don't get me wrong. There's people that still with four kids that do that, and that's by design. You have to learn to design that. But be careful. Just because somebody tells you a tip, like you should do that right now, 
That don't mean that they understand your situation. You've got to do what you need to do first. So that's number one. The number, okay. second, number two tip on, yes. on, on everything is redesign your life. Like, I think a lot of people are caught in the whole monotony of the, the, the keeping up with the Joneses. Like, oh, I got to have a nice big-ass office, a big thing. Nope. There's this new – if people were learning at the way businesses – I mean, right now, depending on what your passion is, there's probably something online about it or something – don't make – don't – again, some people have to do a business because they have to make money, right? And I get that because they, they design a life that they have to pay for. But at the same time, I – let's just say this. I watch The Minimalist, so I do buy into that. Um, I turn vegan, so I – or I'm sorry, I'm on the vegan path. I'm not perfect, so I do buy into that. Um, so I buy into these beliefs and these thoughts, and there's a reason why. Because I, even myself, coming from one opposite direction, somebody that used to value the hell out of Gucci, all right, uh, and Prada, and I, you know, Burberry, I had a cold closet full, to, and champagne, you know, and all that stuff, to, you know what, those things aren't important to me anymore. And so I wouldn't spend my money that way. Or it's like gambling. Some people value the slot machines and high roller and high limit, and that's where they spend their leisure time. And sometimes they're like, oh, you know what, maybe I don't anymore. You know what I mean? So, so wherever you are in life, just be careful with the advice that you take. And then think about what you value. So is it golf? Is it, is it diversity and inclusion? Is it HR? Is it whatever? And work it backwards. Like figure out the free resources that are available. If you want to be a business owner, go look at the, what it takes to be a business owner. Chances are there's somebody that's already doing what you're doing and doing it really well. And if they're not, well, go be the alternative. Go be the alternative. I said, hey, nobody doing staffing, recruiting, and diversity and inclusion and making that their, uh, their, their blue ocean strategy. I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And people are like, well, you know. They said, I'm like, well, you know what? Well, so what if I fail? You know, and I earned that privilege to fail. I said I would rather fail at this than you know, go back because I can go back anytime to corporate America. You know? and, and that's not to knock corporate America because there's some days where I'm like, man, maybe corporate America is right. And there's some places in corporate America that make you feel like an independent uh, a freelancer or a, a, an entrepreneur or entrepreneur already. And yep. So that's amazing, right? So mm-hmm. all I'm saying is do what you need to do first in order okay. for you to do what you want whenever you want it and then. But secondly, be aware of the advice that you're taking in and, and, and your situation and, you know, work it backwards. Like recondition your learning. Maybe you don't need that big of a house or all those cars or a billion-dollar business. Maybe you could be okay with net netting. Um, look, if you could do what you do, if you could do what you love for a living, just redesign the way you're living, and, and then you probably could do what you love. Nice, that's very good. Very well said. Very well said. I like that, Stephen. That's good. Um, one more question before we jump into the second half of of our interview. So, yeah. Stephen, again, uh, in a nutshell, you you've said a lot. You've had you have a lot of knowledge. Apparently, you know, from your upbringing, I didn't realize exactly. You know kind of the struggles that you, you came from, you know, from your childhood, growing up into, you know, your teenage years, and just trying to find that identity, if you will. Like you said, you know, it's really hard to find that self-identity, especially if you're trying to associate yourself with social groups. But, again, you, you came up through the ranks, uh, through adversity. You, you found um, basically your niche after learning so much from the, uh, the mortgage industry, the telemarketing industry, where you developed and cultivated your skills. And then eventually, you know, you, you develop SM diversity, and that's one. That's just one of your 
many successful businesses. You've got a, a few more that I, I believe that you have under your belt, or at least that I'm aware of, the, the other two. But with that said, yeah. out of all those things that you've encompassed, you, you mentioned your legacy that you want to leave behind. What's next for Stephen Matley? Do you Thank have any you. endeavors, any businesses, any expansions? Can you elaborate on that real quickly? Yeah, thank you. Um, right now, Essen Diversity is going through a really massive growth phase. We have more influx of business than I can handle. And that's so <laughs> weird for me to say that, right? Um, mm -hmm. I'll tell you what. Entrepreneurship, it has been – you want to talk about diversity inclusion and just hacking it? I've had to hack entrepreneurship, like literally. Um, you know, I talk about starting businesses with $5,000. I've done that and generate into the millions of dollars, right? And that's mm -hmm. something to be proud of, but in, what people don't know is there's a lot of downside to that too, right? Is that there are some horror stories, high interest rate loans, hard money loans, bad investments, fees, people who quit, who leave. So I, wanna, I just want to set a little caveat here uh, or a little, little side note is that there's a lot of horror stories <laughs> that I'm not even explaining about, but there's a lot of hope and opportunity. So I want people to hear and see both. Tupac right. said at one time when they said, do you have anything to offer the music and entertainment industry? He goes, well, you know what? I give you the good, the bad, the real, the raw, the ups and downs. Yeah, I do have something to, you know, if, he goes, if funneled right into the right, you know, like movies or music, yeah, I do have something to offer it. And so, you know, let me, let me just make sure I understand your question again. Can you ask it again? I just want to make sure I, I nail it. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, this next stage for Stephen Matley, you've already accomplished so much, you know, with your, your three other businesses, SM Diversity, the cleaning business, and then also you had this positive mafia. They're very successful, in their own right? I know that they're, they're doing extremely well in terms of uh, uh, generating revenue for you and your business and, 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 of course, the people that work for you. What is next for you? You know, do you have any other things yeah, yeah. for this next phase of your life? Thank you. So we're gonna we're signing a partnership with the Costa Rica team. Uh, okay. I think they're great. I think I think what they're gonna provide us is with uh, some back office design and development, um, and potential call centers and just more of expansion as a as a really high level consultant. I really respect that team, and they're coming in as an extension, kind of playing in the background. Not a lot of they, they're not out there to. It's interesting, you know. So it's almost like signing to Jimmy Iovine. Like, what a lot of people don't know is the artist is in the front, and everybody knows the artist, but really it's the producers, the executive producers, the distribution deals that they sign, the people that really get the, 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 the music and messaging of the movies out. There's a lot of hidden figures that, that make that happen. So we're in talks of a partial acquisition, possibly. You know, again, I've been bootstrapping it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open. I, I'm, I'm expanding to the East Coast. We're training up a lot of recruiters. One of the best things that I can actually – if I was to die today, Ernest, and I know it sounds somber, but if I was to die today, is that we've left an impression in, in, on this earth the way Scott left it for me, where we transferred information of power and privilege that somebody can use to provide a life for themselves, a better quality of life, meaning I've trained recruiters, salespeople that never knew this knowledge or never ever had access or would have ever had access had it not been us intentionally reaching out further and wider and, and, and picking people that the, the woman that had a degree in arts, fine arts, and never worked in tech, recruiting, sales, ever, but then she was getting ten, fifteen thousand dollars checks a month. What? Like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Um, so that's 
I, I want to do more of the same, and I want to tell that story. So what's next for us is, you know, continue to do these partnerships, continue to train the, the, the folks, expand on the Essence Diversity brand and business up and down the West Coast, do more events, do more workshops, um, educate more clients, connect more resources, open up more doors, shake down more executives that are trying to block us out, um, and just keep going. And, 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 and I'll stop when I, – I don't think I'll ever stop. This is, the, this is what I care about, whether I got paid for it or not. It's my, my mission in life, my purpose in life, and I have a passion, and, I, and I've, I've been able to break ground some way, somehow, with a lot of people. For me to walk away and just like, all right, next startup is just awful. I'm, I'm always connected whether or not I play or serve as a CEO of Essence Diversity forever or not. I hope to see it go further and wider and with, with some influence that I have. So, uh, it, you know, it, the best leaders are the ones that can be the greatest followers, and I'm willing to follow with what the people say. Um, so speaking of following, you know, House Clean Wow, uh, we've, we've been able to get a commercial cleaning account and also some uh, House Clean business. And that's still a, a – I wouldn't even say that's that – that's 10% of where it should be. You know, like if I was looking at it 100%, is that 10% right now? Meaning I haven't put a lot of effort in it. I got, I got robbed and conned by my cable company business guy that basically took all our investments and money and didn't pay us a dime, so I had to hire lawyers. So, Ernest, this is the first time that I'm announcing to the public, and I've been <laughs> silent about it and, and healing. Um, but this, 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 it's like, you know what, like, Ernest, have you ever lost a fight, like, like straight up, like got your ass kicked, like in a fight, like boom, you got beat up, like dang. I actually did. Well, you know, was sorry. Okay. Yes. So you know that feeling of like, <laughs> oh man, like you, okay, that feeling. That's yeah. how I felt and how I've been feeling, and it really created a lot of anxiety. Um, one of my friends went through the same thing when his company got robbed from him by the people that did a fifty-one forty-nine partnership, and they didn't know what they were getting into. And they valued it, devalued it, and kicked them out of the company. It was a classic, like, highway robbery, corporate robbery. And so some of the biggest thugs are the people that do that stuff. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I, that happened to me. I got conned. We got lawyers involved. It was all a, it was, it's a bad thing around without going too deeper. I had to heal from that. And, I, and, and the way I heal from it is I go, you know, yeah, I take a big hit. And I, but I, I'm going to live to talk about it. And there's a lot of investors and people that lose fights to come back and win better fights or other fights. And that's okay too. You know, I don't got to be a Mayweather and undefeated uh, and not have my, and still, and not have my, the people's respect. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, I don't have to be that. I can be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with being Muhammad Ali without a perfect record, but having the perfect legacy that I, that I can live uh, to speak about. So um, right. that's that positive mafia uh, people don't know about Positive Mafia because I don't really promote it as much, but we have small businesses like, that we support. Ernest, in all my businesses and all my life that I'm, I'm trying to do, mm-hmm. when I sit down across from like a business owner, I'm like, what, is, what are some of the needs that are bothering you today that you don't know about, you don't have a network to, you don't have access to, you don't have a budget for? What is something that I can freaking hack for you? That's how, that's how I look at it. Like, like, oh, you don't, people said that you can't do that? Well, we're going to figure out some type of way, something. It might not be what everyone else is doing, but we're going to figure out some way. And if there's anybody that's good at figuring out some way, that's me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I, know that, I know that game because I'm still alive and around. I'm not perfect, but it, that, this was never supposed to be perfect. I wasn't even supposed to be this far. So, yeah. um, you know, when I, so, so Positive Mafia is going good. Uh, 
but in the background, House Clean Wow, we still got a long way to go, and I, I'm excited about the future of that. Esso Diversity will continue to grow and expand our business up and down the West Coast. I personally will be going on tour more. I have uh, an article coming out with like the WPIA, Seattle Globalist. We're talking to a couple of different uh, magazines and uh, companies. Again, you know, you saw Seattle Magazine put us on uh, the same with uh, Kevin Johnson, the CEO of Starbucks, people from Nordstrom, uh, some of the most influential people in our, in our city. Uh, top 35 most influential the alumni are like Jeff Bezos. I mean, like just to say Seattle Magazine and the voters and the people voted you in to be influential around something that when this all started, you didn't know it would get this far. And to see that, it's like win winning my own Grammy. And so, you know, I want to thank everyone that's part of that, right? And so that's what I want to continue to do is evangelize, advocate, teach other people, other communities to activate like this. So if this is Eminem going to find the 50 cent or because Dre found Eminem or Jimmy Iovine and Dre figured out how to break the billion dollar mark with uh, Beats and Apple um, because of the community and the reputation that they built. Um, that's what I'm about, you know, and I want to be a hit maker. Uh, I'm ready to produce other hits for other people in their businesses and their lifestyle, their jobs. Um, we still have a lot of job opportunities that I'm going to be promoting and pitching to the market. And I love it. I love what we do because we get to tell a real story that um, I saw on, on the plane one time coming back from Hawaii. I think uh, it was, uh, is it The King of the Wilderness? It was a movie biopic about Martin Luther King. And he, it starts off with the African proverb, if the surviving lion doesn't tell their story, the hunters will get all the credit. I was like, Damn! I'd be damned if anybody tell my story better than me. I know I could talk. And so I'm like, let me, get, let me go around telling people the story because I'm tired of people doing it in genuine, unauthentic, watered down. Dilute. It's like taking hip-hop and making it too poppy. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my pop hits too, but too much is too much. And, 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 and it's time for the people that are not being heard to be heard. You know what I mean? Like, if, if Dr. Dre, Eminem, 50 Cent, Bruce Lee, Tupac was a Snoop Dogg was all like, we're going to stay true and true to the underground? That would suck. Like Jay-Z said, I don't be in the project hallway talking about how I'm in the project all day. That's how you get to the millions. And then the last Jay-Z quote that I love, I, I think he said in the interview, he goes, 99.99% of the of people from Marcy Housing Projects don't even make it, yet alone become a billionaire. But y'all act like it's an everyday thing. I was like, oh, snap. Think about what he just said. The diamond and the rough entrepreneur, that's not an everyday thing. Right. Bruce Lee, that's not an everyday thing. But we act like it's an everyday thing because we normalize either that or we normalize either hatred because we've seen it. It's, it's so accessible to us now, uh, yeah. especially with technology. But yeah. we shouldn't normalize it. We should still appreciate the heroes for the heroes. And we should still recognize the evil for its evil. Yeah. And I think right now, America and society and the world is in a daze. It's like we're in a matrix. Everyone's running this rat race, and we're so distracted, so unaware. As you talk about sports a lot, it's the punch that you don't see coming. And Ernest, let me just say, uh, this is the last thing I'll say. <laughs> if you watch the Jamie Foxx thing about the club punch, <laughs> where he's like, I'm in the club. <laughs> You know, I, I'm moving in the club. I'm, I'm, I'm punching him. He's on the ground. I'm moving out the club. He's on the floor trying to figure out what the fuck just happened, and I'm out. 
And I don't know if that was Jamie Foxx that said that or was it Cat Williams, but, man, it's that punch that you don't see coming. And I've never been a fighter, but I'll tell you this. I'm not, I've never been a fighter, meaning I don't go out to fight, but I've been in probably 10 different street fights. I've been in uh, formal sports sessions. I respect so much when I heard about your background. Like, I respect practitioners that do MMA. I tell people all the time, don't you mess with anybody that does jujitsu. Damn it, if they're wearing an affliction shirt, you better watch out. You just never know. <laughs> Even if they don't know anything, that could be a UFC fighter. Do not underestimate people because I've been rolled up by 17-year-olds, and I've also been choked out by 60-something-year-olds as well. So BJJ, judo, any type of martial arts, if people are very disciplined in it, I tell them, don't be messing with those people. And those people are, don't use them. The people that are actually, you know, the reason I respect it is – it's like, it's almost like having a gun. You're, you have a weapon, and people are either, there's two things with weapons, right? You could be really reckless, uh, irresponsible, killing people, murdering people with your weapon, or you could be using it for safety, security, self-defense, you know, it, it, only in times that you need it. And that's, that's really what Bruce Lee said, you know, the, the best fight is when you don't have to fight at all. And, but that's, you know, and, 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 and I, and I want to do this out of love, I, wanna, I don't want to always be a fighter. Um, I came from fighting in chaos and war, and I want to show more hope, peace, and unity, but I don't want to reject it either. I don't want to be colorblind uh, to what has happened. I want people to hear the different genres. There is the horror story, but there's the pop story. There's the love story. There's all those stories, the rise, the fall, all of it. That's what human, that's what makes us human. That's what makes us awake. That's what gives us empathy, compassion, and, and, and then move us to do anything. Yeah. Hopefully that answers your question on what's next. Is that that's kind of what I want to you know pursue and continue to do. That's very good. Again, you know, a lot of things going on. It doesn't surprise me for somebody of your your nature, your caliber, and just your enthusiasm in general. It doesn't surprise me that you're you're into so many different things. But mind you, you know, not only are you in many different things. I just want to clarify, but you've turned the things that you've just mentioned there, that you've just outlined, to be very successful in their own right. Just said of making a positive uh, statement in terms of having employees work for you, but also bringing in revenue every year. Yes. So, so yes. that's good. What I wanted to say, too, was, and, and for the folks that are online, is that, like I mentioned earlier, your life resume when you started off growing up doesn't dictate the life resume that you create for yourself and for your future. So it's apparent that what you just did from your resume from growing up is a totally different resume to where you are today. So I commend you for that. And I think that you've done extremely well for yourself. The other thing that I want to mention is that people buy into people, and PowerPoints are just words. But your passion and your conviction equals success. So from what you just said to me right there, it resonates a lot, and I hope that it does for a lot of people as well. So real quickly, now we'll jump right into the second half of our interview. And I do this every once in a while. What it is, it just breaks the monotony of regular interviews, you know, through the podcast. I'm going to say some things, and I'm going to throw them out there, and you just give me a word as soon as it pops into your mind, okay? Yep. All right. What is your favorite word? Resilient empathy. Okay. What turns you on? Love. What sound or noise do you love to hear? Rap music. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> okay. All right. And so, so now the second half basically is just give me short, short and sweet answers of some of these questions that I'm going to ask you. What profession other than the one that you currently have now 
would you have attempted or would you want to attempt? <laughs> Rap artist or either executive producer, you know, P. Diddy, uh, Jimmy IV, Dr. Dre, Eminem, 50 Cent, like the game. I, I have a very deep, 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 deep passion and love for the culture and music and entertainment. I, I, I think that that would be what I would like to contribute to more and more, especially since they're talking D&I now. So, yes, uh, and, and to be honest with you, Drake's label, OVO, Sound, Jordan Wheeler and them, they hit me up. We're actually going to sit down and talk. This is Drake's label, y'all. So nice. Earn it. You have it on record, and this is public information. I have the proof. You heard it here first, son. Earn it for all to diamond on entrepreneur. Nice. Uh, OVO, Drake. And so look out for that. I hope to, you know, I, I want to bring that home. And they, these people oh. work with Wiz Khalifa and GEZ wow. influencers. So, for nice. sure, uh, you know that, we they they looked out they 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 reached out to us and so regardless we're happy just to just to be at the table that that they know us. So oh cool. man, that's good. Congrats there. Um, so real quick, if heaven existed, what would you like to hear from God if you were to arrive at the pearly gates? Woo! Thank you for spreading the gospel and not the gossip. And Ernest, my favorite that. That, that drew me to have, believe in this spiritual higher power uh, and something afterwards of us in a physical form is when, well, well you know, come as you are, uh, but don't ever expect to leave the way you came. And then is it 1 John 15, uh, God is love. Those who live in love, God lives in them. And so I was like, as long as I have love in my heart, I have God with me. And there's no room for everything else. And God is already with me today, and I make heaven on earth. Like, I know that sounds cheesy, but I've been saying that, and I've been telling myself that a long time. And the reason why is as, as a young child growing up in the in this neighborhood, and, there's, and I, you know what? I don't always believe in meritocracy, but I do believe in the fact that when you got nothing, like not a dollar, $14, $14 in your pocket, you can't really do much, but you can rub together your hands and go, Hope, inspiration, and it's like, 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 it's like fire stick. Like, you know, you ever seen that, that they, they, the camp, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the caveman type of deal where they're like rubbing, or people in the woods rubbing two sticks together to create fire? Well, that's what it is. You better get started. You might not got a lighter, but you can wait forever, and so you just got to get started with hope and inspiration. And so, yeah. Does that, does nice. that help? <laughs> Yeah, good. Okay, here, you just give me a number here on a, on a scale of 1 to 10. How weird are you? Uh, nine. Uh, and I want to be as weird as possible because if I could be more weird, it, it, um, Jim Carrey said it best, uh, you know, art, art, it's like nothing was there before, and then all of a sudden, boom, anything that was in your mind is on, onto that canvas. So I do believe in that. I believe that that, that takes weirdness that takes free-flowing, and even in headspace meditation tells you that you can note those things. And it's not about silence and quiet and water streaming all the time. What if it's loud, noisy, and you're, you're noting everything that's happening all around you without being disturbed, as long as you're not disturbed and, you know, like don't watch a horror movie if it's going to give you anxiety. Yep. But that's, how I, that's the type of weird that I am is that I'm a weird in a creative manner where I like to flow, flow. Right, slow. There you go. It takes I weirdness. 
I think for your caliber, you kind of fit in that area too. So I, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. So what are you not very good at? I'm not very good at being mean and mm-hmm. putting my foot down. I I have a I have a tendency where I I get paranoid and I feel like oh I don't want them to feel like how I felt. So this is I have this thing where you know the the parent that spoils their child because. You know, well, I didn't get any toys when I was growing up, so my kids are always going to have all the toys. And it's like this trauma, right? Because you're, like, trying to make up for it. And it's like kind of like the sports parent, right? Like, you got to be better than me because I didn't make it, you know, vicariously living to their child. Well, that's kind of how it is. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. Veganism. Oh, okay. Veganism is so true. Yeah. And it's going to wake up so many people that it's going to be amazing when it, when, when it does wake people up more and more. I, I'm going to love it. I'm going to love it. Nice. And the last one, room, desk, and car. Which do you clean first? <laughs> um, because I only get an opportunity to, uh, I always clean up my car because I'm always in transportation. I, I, you know, for for a lot of my life, you know, you spend traveling, getting clients, and all that. So your motor vehicle has to be clean. Uh, yeah. It's not that way now. Uh, when you have children, you clean. You know what? The best way to answer that question is you clean whatever when you can. <laughs> and if you don't clean it, hit up housecleanwild.com in the greater Seattle area. There you go. Nice little promotion there. I like it. Awesome. So there you go. Um, you know, for those that are uh, listening here, you basically got a little glimpse of, you know, Stephen Matley, if you will, through his professional career, growing up, a little bit of his life, and then kind of engaging with him a little bit more, if you will, out of the ordinary by asking him some of these questions so that you kind of get a feel for how he is from a more personal standpoint. So lastly, Stephen, how can people find you? Where can they connect with you on social media? Great question. So uh, our team runs most of my social stuff, like the Instagram, the, if you're like, well, first off, you go to SM, smdiversity.com, S-M-D-I-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.com. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good reference. Also, look us up on LinkedIn, S-M, that's Stephen Matley, right, S-M, uh, diversity.com. People always ask, like, what does that S-M mean, social media diversity? Like, it's just... I was putting my initials, and I was saying I was going to tattoo diversity to my name, and that's what it, that's how it came up. It was like, I, I must have, I don't know, I must have thought something fancy like JR and Associates, and I was like, man, that sounds cool. Like, it should be like SM Diversity or something like that, and it just, it just caught, and I was like, you know what? It's not about the name. It's about getting the name known, and as long as I can do a good job of getting the name known, it's going to be known. So it's known, and so it's in history books now. <laughs> See how I go on these tangents? <laughs> but, uh, I want to I want to I want to make sure I answer properly. Yeah, so Sorry. you said uh, smdiversity.com, they can find you on LinkedIn and then they can find you on uh, what's the other platform? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you just type in SM diversity, yep, Twitter. Okay. Uh Stephen Matley, S E V E N Matley M A T L Y. Uh, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Inst- uh, no, I'm not on Instagram. I'm on um uh LinkedIn and uh I would also tell everyone to subscribe to the dollar eighty cent Gary Vaynerchuk um, method of how do you uh, get the most value add and add value to your LinkedIn network is the one dollar eighty cents uh, a day um, 
uh, marketing campaign. Uh, it's an awesome video, and I subscribe to that. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, folks, Stephen, thank you again. You know, what a wonderful interview that we had. And I just want to tell the folks out there, audience members, that uh, I hope you've learned something off of this podcast. I certainly did. I thought it was very informative. And for those of you that are trying to get into entrepreneurship or those that are also still in corporate, maybe teeter-tottering between the two, or maybe even trying to encapsulate me as a, uh, a corporate employee and doing entrepreneurship at the same time, I hope some of this information resonates with you and it sticks with you as well. So again, Stephen, I appreciate your time. I know that you're a very a busy individual. Thank you for, for doing this podcast with me. Thank you, Ernest. This has been amazing, and uh, I love it. Uh, you know, I, I don't always spend as much time and energy as I should be uh, doing more of these, and uh, you definitely inspired me to continue to tell my story, and thank you for uh, lending your audience and uh, this amazing platform that you created for us to tell our story. So thank you for what you do. You're very welcome. Folks, so please share this podcast out. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and now on Apple Podcasts. God bless you all and keep striving to be your best self. Until the next time, take care. Remember that all things start with you. Your life circumstances of where you are today shouldn't deter you from where you want to be. So get out there and make things happen. And remember to always be all in or be average. Until next time.